Well, welcome back to another episode of Awareness to Action, the Enneagram podcast. Uh, today, we are continuing our series on types. And today, we have a special guest with us, Chelsea Jackson. How's it going, Chelsea? Going well. Thank you. Great. And Chelsea, you, you lead with the strategy of six. Is that correct? That is right. How, how's that working out for you? Um, I used to really hate it. I think like uh-huh. most people, when they first figure out who they, what type they are or what strategy they are, they uh, mm. rebel a little bit. But I, I now really actually enjoy it and know, have come to learn a lot about myself. Oh, I think great. that's every type but eight. You know, all the other types. <laughs> Y'all are like, you know, we're say, super oh, proud awesome. actually right off the bat. Yeah, like, <laughs> what else would I be? I mean, what are you? Not- <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see you, Yeah. yeah. So, so Chelsea, tell us just like a quick 30-second summary of where you live, uh, what you do for the monies, and what you do for fun. So I recently moved back to Virginia, my home state, and I live in Richmond, Virginia with my um, partner and my cuddly pit bull. And I moved back here to be closer to family and to be the coolest aunt I could possibly be. Um, So... I, with that move came a career change from uh, working within the nonprofit sector, doing pretty much anything you could imagine within the nonprofit sector. And now I'm focused more on consulting, writing, and and editing. Um, Mm. And so that's kind of what I'm uh, trying my hand at in the recent kind of career launch that I've taken. And what I do for fun, well... Uh, I like reading and, and writing, obviously. That's a big part of what I do every day. Um, but I also love hiking and, and watching movies, especially movies I could use, like internalize as part of my personality and just start quoting for the end, till the end of time. So that's kind of movies, books, hiking, hanging out with family. It's kind of what I do. You, you could only watch one movie for a whole oh, year. God. What would it be? <laughs> well, since we're... We're recording close to the holidays. I have like this like go-to holiday movie that I that I don't mind like just putting on as I work, and it's Holiday on Netflix. It's just like super silly. Um, but any other day it would holiday. usually be holiday. But any other day it would usually be bridesmaids. My sisters and mom and I just like can can have entire conversations just quoting that movie. We don't need any other words. We did an episode on bridesmaids. In the did you really? I need I need yeah. to watch it yeah. or listen to it. Oh my god! <laughs> yes, it was. It's a funny movie. Well, Chelsea, it's it's great to see you. So, uh, Maria Jose, uh, tell us. It was your idea to have Chelsea on. So, why, why don't you uh, say why? She was the only six I could think of. Now, it's uh, <laughs> she was the first on the list. We didn't know anyone else. No, I was setting yeah. you up to say something nice. I know, nicer. I know. Yeah. Um, I think it's because she's insightful and, yeah, thoughtful. And I always, during the trainings uh, where she participated, I always enjoyed what she had to say about herself and how open she was to considering things. So those are qualities that I admire and thought that she could be a good addition to this podcast. 
So Chelsea did go through our uh, certification program. Uh, so we did get to know her there. And, um, you know, I, I, I agree with Maria Jose. Chelsea always had insightful things to say. And I always appreciated both, uh, Chelsea, your willingness to push back, but also your willingness to be open-minded and to, you know, learn and see things differently and uh, so forth. So it's, it's great to have you on today. Thank you. Thank you for the kind words. So we're going to move into uh, some descriptions on the Type 6. Who wants to, who wants to take that? At me? Is that, is that a sign for me it to is, go, Maria? Is it is. Yeah. You're so, so, so perceptive. So, <laughs> 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 so the, uh, the six is we call striving to feel secure. And we've talked in each episode about our biases and things that, you know, kind of baggage that we bring uh, in our reaction to each of the Enneagram types. And again, I do think it's important for people working with the Enneagram to be aware of these biases that can slip in. And the six is one of the types that I feel like I intuitively understand the least, right? I mean, I understand them intellectually and I understand, um, you know, what the processes are, what the dynamics are and so forth. But it's one of the types that seems just really, really foreign to me right? This striving to feel secure. And, um, and again, you know, one might see how that can kind of come across for somebody who's striving to feel powerful. For me, sixes are always one of, one of the types I really have to be conscious of and try to step outside of my own frame of seeing the world, right? Because the, the eight sort of comes at the world aggressively and the six sort of, you know, step backs and is, you know, a little bit wary about the world. And so this is one of the, you know, things that we know about them. So basically what it means to strive to feel secure is to be on the lookout for potential trouble, right? So there's this vigilance to the six, there's this alertness, there's this scanning that's always happening to make sure that, you know, whatever troubles could arise, they're prepared for them, which gives the six the reputation of being fearful, of being, uh, you know, timid perhaps, or even, you know, particularly in the corporate world where I work, it's a type that can frustrate people because of their perceived hesitancy, their perceived negativity uh, about things. But what I find is that when the times get tough, sixes are actually really prepared and they're very effective people in those situations. Okay, So I think the six is a type that is often misunderstood uh, in the Enneagram world. Uh, they're seen as these sort of Woody Allen-ish people who are afraid of everything. Uh, when in reality, they, they're, they're often quite capable, quite um, competent and uh, quite effective in the world. Could you give us a non-ancient reference than Woody Allen? <laughs> yeah, and one that hasn't been canceled. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, Mel Gibson. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's not much better. You know, it's it's yeah. interesting what you're saying, Mario. Uh, in my case, I have my mom is a six, and my daughter, one of my daughters, is a six. Mm -hmm. One is a preserving six; the other one is a transmitting six, and Besides type six being misunderstood in the Enneagram world, I think they're sometimes hard to read in the real world. People, I think, have a harder time making sense of their behavior or jump very quickly into conclusions to why they're doing certain things, when in reality their kind of inner process is sometimes very different. 
to what people perceive of them. So to me, it's really interesting to have this episode talking about how it truly feels from the inside, because it's this is a bigger, in my my uh, opinion, disconnect between how they perceive themselves and how people do that. You ask for a more um, current example, uh, Creek, and Chelsea mentioned her love of the movie Bridesmaids. And I I think that perhaps the main character in Bridesmaids, uh, I forget her name, Chelsea, you might remember, is probably a good example of a type six. Now you're putting me on the spot before I've had a full yeah, cup sorry. of coffee. Um, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> wait, a quick... It's Kristen Wiig is the, the well, actress. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I would, I think that she, I mean, I personally find her frustrated at times, um, frustrating, but I I think she would probably, that's probably why I find her frustrating. She's a six like me. (laughs) Annie is (laughs) her name. Annie is her name. Annie. So Chelsea, this, what we're all kind of expressing and I, I too had a, had a, well, I still do on some level. And a, a difficulty understanding the sixness, and then the universe handed me a housemate who's a six, and then the past few people I dated were sixes. So I've become well acquainted. Um, but this confusion that uh, a lot of people in the Enneagram community have around sixes, um, what, are, what are some of those confusions that, that you've heard that you feel like you could address and, and clear up for us? Well, first of all, I love the idea of being mysterious. Like, <laughs> this is the idea of like, we don't we don't get her. She is just an enigma. Um, I, I kind of, uh, I like that. But yeah, I think that's, in my experience, it's been pretty common. Um, I've heard kind of the same, the same feedback in the multiple settings that I found myself in um, throughout my life. Things like, oh, you're, um, you've got all these seemingly, like these contradictions, kind of like what Mario was speaking to. Like, it seems like you're, you're preparing for something really big and, and bad and scary and that you're letting it shake you a little bit. But then like, you seem to also have everything planned out. Like you've got a plan, you've got it together and and you know where where you're going or somehow you pull it off. That's a big thing that's been kind of um, in my life. Well, we don't understand the vision that you're talking about, Chelsea, but after one or two times, it's like, but we trust you to like do whatever you say you're going to do. And then it happens. So I think that's kind of been something that I've had to become really okay with is, is the, what looks like fear, just like immobilizing fear or negativity in my mind it's not in my mind i'm getting more energized by thinking through the different ways that i might respond by thinking through how things might unfold and how i how i can react to be more in control to be more to be more stable um, in my response to be more secure in my response right and for me, it's not only a security for me, but a security for those around me. I also, I, I often find myself in places of, of leadership and of being the kind of um, voice of stability or, or reason or peacemaking sometimes. And it's really important for me to, to give a non-anxious presence. I, I use that word a lot or that phrase a lot in my, in my professional life where my role 
whenever I'm a, a, in a leadership position is to be a non-anxious presence. And I found that I actually have to sometimes flip that and be a non-anxious presence for whoever is leading me, for whoever is supervising me, because for whatever reason, they don't have this sense of security or stability that I've worked really hard to, to curate. And so I think that's probably one of the, the biggest experiences or that like misalignment um, between my internal world and that around me. And, and then just one other thing about the negativity, because it was, I think, in, in the awareness to action training where it was said like, yeah, like sixes can be Debbie Downers, my man. And I'm like, but we're not. Like, we're not trying to be negative. We're not trying to be, um, you know, this kind of like fatalistic, oh, if, if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. Like, that's not what we're thinking in our head. Um, but it took, it took, you know, kind of talking to some folks that weren't in my professional team, right? When I would find pushback of like, okay, we need to be thinking about this because how we're reacting as an organization is probably going to elicit this response from the public. And we need to be prepared for this response. And I would always get called out of like, you're making problems before they come. You're, you're just trying to like belittle the work that we're doing. Whose side are you on? Like those type of things. And, and I'm like, I'm really, I promise I want us to succeed. And that's why I'm thinking to this. And then sure enough, that would happen. And then I would be asked to clean up the mess. And, and it got to the point where I would feel a little frustrated because I felt like the girl who cried wolf, but then when the wolf was actually real, it's like, okay, Chelsea is ready to take on this wolf. You've got it. One of the things I always tell my six clients is, because I know that they see the positive as well, but it stays in their head. Right, so they they see the positive, but they feel like it's their role to point out the negative and mm-hmm. to protect the group. And so, you know, other people don't know what's inside your head, so all they hear is the more negative things. And so, mm-hmm. a, a very simple thing I typically coach my six clients around is just make an effort to say the positive things you're thinking as well, right? And yep. voice those, uh, you know, so it, it becomes a little bit more rounded. That same like external struggle to to maybe vocalize the positives, I would also just say that we bring to our own internal voice at times, you know, that, oh, I should have been more prepared. Oh, I should have done this. Oh, I should be doing this. And that would even like make things better. Um, and and not we don't always have that like oh wow but these are the things that are working these are the things that you have succeeded at these are the things that are good and whole and wonderful about where you are or who you are and and so I would say like yes we need to externalize it but we also need to internalize that type of voice as well I was thinking when you were describing those interactions about something that the sixes around me have mentioned that it's very irritating to say something. Uh, and it's when people watch sixes do certain things and then say, oh, relax. It's like almost offensive. What's your reaction to the relax comment? Yeah, I think for me personally, it's like, depends on the setting, right? Like, and how often I'm being told that. I think... My partner, for example, 
has, in my opinion, like a, a more, he, he has a closer bird, like closer view of me and when I might be overthinking, when I might be overly anxious, when I might be making mountains out of molehills and can be like, hey, you know, I see you spiraling a little bit. Chill out. It's okay. And I respond to that a lot better because there's a proximity of relationship that I've come to trust. I know he has my best interest and our best interest as a, as a family, as a unit, to maybe tell me to step back and relax. If it's coming within a professional setting, if it's coming from someone who is just, I, I get the sense that they're saying it because they don't want to deal with me <laughs> or they don't want to deal with what I'm saying or what I'm, maybe a problem that I'm trying to solve and it's just an avoidance tactic, I don't respond particularly well. I either shut down or I prepare for it by myself, which is often lonely, but also doesn't do the team much good if I'm preparing for something without their input, right? If I feel like this one person show. So, but I, I have often like tried to step back and be like, okay, so, or I'll just ask them like, why do you think I should relax? Why do you think that this isn't as big of a deal as I think? You know, why are like, you telling why? me to do that? Why? What, what yeah. are you up to? Why? I'm going to flip it. Why? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I think, I mean, I've also, I, I would like to think that I've gotten better about self-monitoring when I might be spiraling unnecessarily. And I, and I often tell myself, you know, if I feel that, like, don't, don't live it twice. So if there's something I'm anxious about, if there's something that I'm dreading doing for whatever reason, and it's I'm ruminating on it, I'm just thinking about it constantly, then I'll just tell myself, like, you're unnecessarily living this more times than you need to. Like, it's going to come when it's going to come. Don't live it twice. And, and then I can usually step back and, and relax. I can self-monitor my own relaxation. But if it's coming from someone who I don't feel like knows, knows me, and it's just kind of a way to avoid something that I'm saying that I'm, I'm not particularly happy. How do you personally, what's like the felt sense of when you're just pausing to gather more data and when you're in more of that spiral freeze state? Yeah, that's a great question. For me, I have to step back in and think of if I'm ruminating on something that I can control or something that I can't. So if if something's coming up, an event or a program or something that I, I'm leading and up to a certain point, you know, I can control how something unfolds, how an event that I planned happens, right? But at a certain point, I have to let go of like, okay, I've I've either prepared as much as I could or or I didn't. <laughs> or or things like fell through the cracks or like we're all human. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. I something could have been done differently, but it's mm-hmm. it's done now. And and that's been a really big thing of me, just like not beating myself up, you know way beyond whatever I should have prepared for. You know, if, if I could have done something different, I often have to like stop and be like, okay, yes, you could have, but it's done. Like, and it's probably more meaningful to you. You're probably thinking about it way more than anyone else is thinking about it. And, and apply this to social situations where I'm like, damn, I said something really embarrassing to, to professional <laughs> situations, to personal situations or events or, or things like that. And so I think for me, it's like, okay, what can I control and what can't I control? And at some point, I, I need to 
let go of the things that are done, let, let go of the things that I can't control, just accept some things. And also for me, it's been like, okay, I could prepare for something or I could always do more research. I could always do more prep work. I could always better myself. Uh, I've been told throughout my life that I'm a sponge, that I'm very spongy. And what people often mean by that is that I tend to take a lot. I, I take in all of the information around me. I take in all of the experiences, everything that I hear, everyone that I interact with. I take it in and then I, I kind of like synthesize and like do something with it. And, and then I output it in a way that only I could, right? Like, cause we're all individual, our minds work in great ways. I take it all in and then I use it in whatever endeavors that I'm doing. I think what you're speaking to points to a good uh, tip or, you know, a lesson in both interacting with sixes and being a six, this idea of honoring what's at the heart of being a six, right? This striving to feel secure, recognizing that it's a good thing. And we've made this point with the other types that we've talked about, that there's nothing inherently good or bad about any of the strategies. It's all about how we apply it. And it's there for a reason, okay? So the eight striving to feel powerful, the four striving to be unique, et cetera, they serve a really important purpose, not just for the individual, but for the group. And we have to honor that. And so the six needs to honor, well, yeah, I do this for a good reason, yeah. but I just have to be careful I'm not overdoing it, right? Yeah. Because it's, and, and I think this speaks to the point Maria Jose was making, when we start to dismiss that as, oh, just stop worrying, you're worrying too much, there's something wrong with you, et cetera, <laughs> that's when we all start to get defensive, right? And we yeah. all start to actually act out our strategy even more. But just mm -hmm. to say, okay, well, this exists for a good reason. Let's just make sure we're using it in proportion mm -hmm. is really important, both from the inside and from the outside. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I think, I mean, to what you're saying, like knowing when to knowing when to pull back. And so, you know, my sponginess is a really great thing until I'm like just drowning <laughs> in everything that I've, I've <laughs> right. taken in and I haven't done anything with it or I haven't like moved through it or I haven't mm. put up some filters, be like, you know what? I actually don't need that. I actually don't need that either. Mm. Um, and, you know, letting go of some control, relinquishing control and, and being okay with that. So I think that's kind of how I, I, those are the tools that I use to kind of call myself out when I am feeling like I might be spiraling. And and one thing that I have had to do too when when I do get those relaxed, you know, like you just kind of me personally, I I enough times of that and I and I lose interest in the group's success. And that really sucks. Like I hate when the the desire for our collective success as a team, as an organization, as a group, I hate when that starts to chip away. And it's usually only after I've been told time and time again, stop making problems. Oh, crap, we're in a problem. Fix it. Stop making problems. Oh, crap, we're in a problem. Fix it. And at that point, I just feel overused and burnt out and like a one trick pony. <laughs> so that's, I mean, I would say like for me personally, that, that chipping away of, of really caring like hurts. It sucks. And, and I think it's because, you know, 
it's no longer a secure space. It's no longer a stable space, no matter what I try to do. And, and I can't trust others. Um, and, and they made it really clear that they don't trust me. So those, I mean, those are the, the you know, relinquishing control, knowing when to stop fighting the battles and, and when to stop spiraling or living things twice. Like those are kind of the tips that I use to maybe pull back when I need to for my own well-being. I think for the six, it's important to ask the question, number one, to honor, again, this these tendencies they have, but then to ask, okay, so what am I going to do about it? Okay, so what action needs to happen? Okay, so what? And again, not to dismiss it as unimportant and say, oh, who cares about that? But no, to say, okay, well, this could happen. And if it does, what am I going to do? Okay, what's the plan for it? And that creates some peace of mind for the six. I was thinking that one of the other misconceptions about the six, it's about decision-making and how the process is kind of very difficult. They, They... sometimes are portrayed like they just kind of make make up their minds or they need somebody to tell them what to do. So how would you dis- would you describe your, the decision-making process? Yeah, my decision-making process, I think, has definitely evolved over time. I would say that for me as a six, decision-making is, is always kind of this dance. It's a dance between <laughs> me seeing like, three steps into the future about what the decision might might mean or what it might bring. But it's also, okay, but what do I what do I want? What am I most interested in? No matter, you know, what it leads to. I mean not not super bad things, but like no matter what it leads to, what do I want to do in this moment? I think like living and leaning into the present moment is probably one of the hardest things for me as a six and and likely for for many sixes to just kind of be comfortable in the discomfort of now. (laughs) Um, And that's that's kind of one thing that I I try to think of when I do make decisions, what do I want versus, you know, how much am I thinking about future Chelsea and what they're going to have to navigate? And I mean, sometimes that's as simple as, wow, I'm feeling really burnt out. I've worked, you know, a 10 hour day. I really, you know, I'm going to make it future Chelsea's problem if I don't finish out these last two hours. But present Chelsea needs to to watch Bridesmaids, <laughs> needs to sit down and relax, needs to, <laughs> you know, cuddle with her dog. When it comes to, like, group decision making, that's just such a complicated layer that's added onto it for me. Um, because oftentimes... It's not only how will it unfold, what do I want or what energizes me the most, but it's also what do the people around me want? What do the people around me need? Um, How am I going to navigate any conflict that arises because somebody didn't get their way in the decision? And so I think sometimes if there's, if there's any like stalling of decision-making or wanting other people to make it, it's not because I don't have a preference. <laughs> it's not because I, I don't know what would be best. Like, I probably do. If anything, it's because I've sensed that to go with whatever somebody wants is probably going to be the path of least resistance and therefore get the group and myself the most security in that moment. And, I, and I've had to challenge that. I've had to say like, okay, this might cause issue in the moment, but it's going to actually lead to 
a more long lasting group dynamic that's that's stronger, um, more stability, more trust within the team, more trust within like the family or the group or whoever. And so I, I have been trying to make decisions that are hard for the folks around me, all the way from boundaries to like, actually, we're going to have this conversation now because it's important <laughs> and, and like those different things. Mm. So I think that's kind of, but I, I often don't have an issue of like, in my mind, I, I kind of know what I w- really want or, or maybe what should be done. I'd like to take a look at uh, some of the descriptive elements of the six, right? So there's a couple of dynamics that we usually cover and a few things you said uh, bring up issues for me. So uh, number one, I want to, I'm just going to list a few things here that, you know, I want us to talk about, but there's this issue of loyalty and group dynamics, right? Um, And I want to talk about the connecting points and how they play in. Another thing I want to get a little bit into here is one of the reasons why I think there are so many misunderstandings about sixes is this tendency in the Enneagram literature to um, divide sixes into either phobic or counterphobic sixes, right? Uh, That there's either the fearful six or there's the aggressive six. And in my experience, um, every six I've ever met is both fearful and assertive, right? Fearful and aggressive or seemingly fearful. Um, there's a continuum. Some are more aggressive. And that's usually the transmitting six that we're looking at when we see the more aggressive six. And the you know, the more phobic or more fearful six is usually the, uh, the preserving six with the navigating six being somewhere in the middle. So I think it's important to call that out, right? That because again, you know, the Enneagram, although the ultimate purpose for it is to help us actually understand the complexities of people, what we're prone to do is just use it to oversimplify again, right? To put people into even more refined boxes while we think we're getting deeper understanding. So, um, so, 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 Creek, I'm going to leave this to you. Okay, I've thrown out a few things there, right? Uh, the phobic, counterphobic, uh, the connecting points, which we haven't addressed yet, and the issue of loyalty. Uh, where, where do you want to start, Creek? You're the, you're, oh. you're the I, I see you as the corraller of this podcast, the corraller. Of, you know, um, keeping us on track and dynamics. So, how about since you're the corraller, my, how about we go to the connecting points? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you tell him what to say, Mario? Mario, you read my mind. The words, the words oh. he needs to use. You truly are enlightened. <laughs> Rio Jose, why don't you tell us about the connecting points? Of sure. Six? Okay, so, uh, yeah, so some of the things you said also made me think about the connecting points, Chelsea, especially the neglected strategy of type six, which is uh, type nine, striving to feel peaceful in several uh, moments you said that you wanted stability, which could be perceived as security, but it's also this um, kind of harmony. You want things to be peaceful. And sixes tend to want that, but also avoid it at times when they need it. So too much peace might be neglecting to do the things that I should be doing and makes me feel less secure. So what's your experience mm-hmm. with that? How do you deal with that inner peace that you might look at times 
might look for at times, but sometimes feels like a bit threatening, I guess. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and, and for me, like quite a vulnerable one, because I find like inner peace is like the last thing on my to-do list. (laughs) Um, And, and it's, and I'm not like super proud of it, but it just, it just is. And it's something that I've really had to work at making time and space for. I think the connecting points for me um, have helped me a lot understand myself and my little, like the the little contradictions, quote unquote, that I, that I might have, or I'm told that I have. And I actually have some nines in my life that sometimes frustrate me to no end because I'm like, it's not as rosy as you're making it seem. Stop it. <laughs> like I, I get really, really like <laughs> sensitive, overly sensitive sometimes to, to sometimes what I perceive as toxic positivity, but I have a, I have a super low threshold for positivity. <laughs> I, I was say, toxic positivity, otherwise known as positivity. positivity. <laughs> <laughs> so negativity is not toxic. It's just positivity is toxic. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I can be toxically negative with the best of them, but the toxic positivity, it's like, you know, like, oh, a house is burning down. Oh, it's really cold night. At least it's warm, right? Like, I, and that's where I'm just like, what the house is burning, you know? And so, so I, I often have to kind of step back and recognize when something, yeah, like, just like any type can lean into, you know, maybe overdoing their type. There are such things as, you know, maybe being overly positive when I really need somebody to recognize the struggle or, or the the pain that I or the insecurity that I feel, but there are also times when I need to to lean in to to that that stability and just kind of own it a little bit more, and and recognize that it's it's not as threatening as it seems, and that I can still stay vigilant, not hyper vigilant, but vigilant even within a, a space of of peace, of peacemaking. I would say I'm a much better external peacemaker than an internal peacemaker. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I often, like I said, I make that a kind of a, a last priority for me. And, and I also think, you know, I am a writer. I think, you know, we could talk about creativity and, and the Enneagram and how that might, you know, kind of coalesce and, and manifest. I do think that a lot of my, anxieties and you know I I do tend toward like writing kind of weird stuff and like twisted little horror stuff and and my poetry is also very like dark and and gritty and I think it's been a helpful outlet for me to to kind of like get some of that out so I say like I'm not great at finding internal peace but I do think my creativity allows me to kind of purge some of that and and into it like in a generative way and then there's just there's just the regular work you know um in my in my tradition i call it shadow work so so sitting with the the pieces of myself that might feel uncomfortable sitting with the anxieties and and knowing when to follow them and when to try to let them go and then leaning into it breathing into it and and trying to grow so 
so yeah, that internal external piece is a challenging thing. I think that it always helps when, for sixes to, as they're working on this issue, to set boundaries around their stretch points, right? So uh, you, you mentioned that, you know, inner peace is last on your list of, of concerns and, you know, this feeling that, oh, I, I shouldn't be watching Bridesmaids right now, but I really want to watch Bridesmaids. So we're caught up in this dynamic because when we think about, oh, I need to be, I need to have more inner peace, it sounds like a huge undertaking, right? So the activity is usually, you know what, for 15 minutes, I'm going to experience a little inner peace here. And then on minute 16, I can go back to being my regular self. Check it off the list. You know, so exactly. So it doesn't, you know, and that might seem really artificial, but what it actually does is it makes us comfortable with it, right? Because I know, okay, once Bridesmaids is over, I'm going to get back to work. Yeah. Okay, or I'm going to get back to, you know, whatever is on my mind. But it's healthy for me to have this bounded time. Mm-hmm. And the more comfortable we get with that in a structured and bounded way, the more natural it'll come, the more spontaneous it could be. But yeah. always put kind of a boundary on it I think, yeah. as a starting point. I also have a bit of like ADHD thrown in for fun, you know. Um, and so for me, like my own inability or not even an inability. I I don't always see it as a bad thing, but I call it like following where the energy is. So I could have four different projects that I'll have, you know, upcoming due dates and I wake up each day and I'm like, I'm not going to work on, like, I don't have a calendar of which project I'm going to work on unless there's a deadline coming up. I have a, all right, I'm going to sit and like, think of like, what am I most excited to open today? What am I most excited to work on today? And that's actually, and then like that, that's actually given me a, a greater sense of inner peace. And it's still around productivity. And I try to separate my, I try to separate my self value and self worth and even my vision of self. I try to separate it from pr- my productivity as much as I can. But I do think like following where my energy is, honoring that in the moment and, and finding little ways to, to augment it. You know, I, I've been watching hockey with the sound off and working. You know, and and that kind of is like a a middle point. It's a compromise. Chelsea, you mentioned words like um, self-worth, productivity, check of the list, which make me think about type three, which is the support strategy of type six. What's your relationship with that? How do you live uh, the strategy of striving to feel outstanding? How it is for you? How is it for you? I have a really uh, complicated, (laughs) similar to nine, just like complicated relationships with the connecting points in general. Type three, I think when I first started learning about the Enneagram, I I had a a short time where I'm like, oh, I could be type three. And again, I was really resisting that type six, but something clicked. And I've I've said this as, as long as I can remember, both of like, I grew up and and my own experiences, everybody carries their own experiences and traumas, but also just like, this is how I have been since I can remember. I have found stability and security in trying to be perfect, in trying to be above reproach, of trying to be above critique. And once I thought of it that way, then I was like, okay, I'm a type six with a connecting point of three. 
because I would always say, like, I would always tell people if I'm, if I'm perfect enough, if I do it well enough the first time, I, I won't need critique. I won't need feedback. They'll have nothing to be mad at me for, right? They'll have nothing to say in response. <laughs> then I, then I got an MFA in poetry and you're getting critiqued for everything. So my, my sense of getting critiqued and feedback has, I've grown so much in that. I've matured so much. I have enough confidence in myself and enough security in who I am that, you know, feedback isn't going to break me. I, I just want to jump in here. So, um, so you're talking about striving to feel perfect and be beyond reproach, which is actually the strategy at point one. Okay. But it shows the, um, the similarity between the experience of the one and the experience of the three very often. Right. And so the way we would think about this is that this striving for perfection or excellence that you're talking about, Chelsea, is not quite the same way that a one comes from it. No. Yeah. Um, And it's, it's more of a threes way of doing it. So the three kind of gets their sense of identity through being outstanding. Right. And for the six, it's, if I do a good job, I won't be under threat, right? I'll be accepted. I'll be embraced. So I have to, you know, strive to do a good job. Okay? Yeah. Um, so a little bit different, but, you know, again, it's, it's, it's very, very, I think it captures exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And it's, and it's for me, it's not that there's like one way to do it. Right. Like, right. I, right. I often hear um, ones being like, this is the right way. This is the right. way. And, and for me and, and what I would do, I, I never really saw something as the only way um, or even the, the most right way. I just wanted to do well. I wanted to stand out or at least hide from like being pointed out as like someone who did it wrong. And, and I, really, right. I really had to grow through that. That was, that was a hard one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So um, that, in addition to something you said earlier about your process for what am I going to work on today, uh, made me think of the instinctual biases, right? And kind of as we start our descent into the airport here and, uh, you you know, come toward the end of our our podcast, uh, I do want to talk about the instinctual biases because, uh, Maria Jose, you pointed out earlier that all the ones we've done so far are navigating, right? Well, you, I did. You, you, Creek, and I are navigators, and Chelsea is also a navigating six. And the process you were describing of not having a process, you know, getting up and saying to myself, oh, what do I, you know, where's the energy going today? <laughs> it, it's, it's very much a navigating activity. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, Absolutely. you know, and when we, when we talk about the three instinctual biases, what we, we you know, what we talk about is how the, uh, the preserving domain, which is all about structure and process is the zone of indifference, right? So it can feel like a set of handcuffs. Um, so with the, with the navigating six, the focus is usually on striving to feel secure regarding my place in the group. Okay. And there's a lot of, you know, conversation about the six and loyalty, which I don't think always applies, but it's an interesting dynamic when it comes to the navigating six. So um, since you're navigating six, Chelsea, tell us a little bit about the relationship to the group 
and issues of security. Yeah, I'm really happy that you mentioned the word loyalty because I didn't I didn't really apply it to myself until a few years back. And I'm like, oh yeah, like when you're in my corner, I will, I will go to the mat for you. Like you are in my corner. Um, and it, it takes a little bit to, to get there, um, d- depending on the relationship. But I do think I've been fortunate to, to be in a myriad of, of group settings all the way from, I've been a religious leader in settings. I've been a peer and academic, a level, you know, a director level position in nonprofit. And I often find myself either in leadership roles or assuming a type of leadership role. And I don't think that's true for, for all sixes. I don't think sixes need to be the leader in the group. Um, we've talked about why some folks might be suspicious if a six is, is leading the group or might be uncomfortable with a six leading the group. But I do feel, whether I'm like the quote unquote leader or not, I do feel an incredible sense of responsibility to care for that group. So just to contrast the, the navigating six with the uh, other two sixes, whereas the six is striving to be, feel secure in the relationship to the group, the preserving six is striving to feel secure in the preserving domain, right? It's about making sure that I'm physically safe. I have the resources that I need, that uh, there are no threats to me or the people that I care about. And the transmitting six is, it's it's interesting because again, it's the most, I guess, contradictory of sixes. It's the one that confuses a lot of people and ends up being mistyped, but it's about um, um, striving to feel secure as I transmit, so it's very often this assertiveness that comes across, right? This aggressiveness, and again, gets labeled as the counterphobic attempt uh, or the counterphobic type of the six. So, Maria Jose, is there anything you would add to the uh, instinctual bias descriptions? Uh, no, briefly? my mind was on the trying to be a non-anxious presence that Chelsea has been repeating over these all episode. And and I was thinking about how that anxiety in sixes triggers something in me that I want to run away sometimes. And and it is a bit similar. And, I'm, and I was just wondering if it's similar to me as a navigating one, when I want to do things perfectly, but I don't want to seem like critical or trying to perfect people too much because that's not perfect. So it's kind of, I want people to have these idea of me that it's not not of someone who is trying to perfect everyone and I see the similarity with Chelsea about deliberately trying to be a non-anxious presence in the group you know it's Mm -hmm. that's where my mind was and what would you recommend to people in how to deal with you because you also said something that people sometimes had a hard time dealing with you is that, that they say relax when they have a hard time dealing with you. Uh, so let's just let's just keep repeating that I am difficult to deal with. Yes. And, uh, we all are. We all are. Uh, we all are. Um, what are uh, speak for yourselves here. Speak for yourselves. Just some of us are aware of it, you know. <laughs> Basically. So, uh, uh, so just one tip, Chelsea, for people on how. What's the best way to get the best out of you? 
well, one, to, to be like proactive and, and to catch us early in, in a process or in a decision or a project or something, then this is speaking a little bit more in the professional setting, but it can be applied and transferred in other settings as well. But just to, you know, maybe ask like, what are you seeing that you think we might've missed? And to do that early, to do it genuinely, because I have a pretty good like BS radar. Like I can know when you're not being authentic. I can know when you're just asking me for lip service, but you're not actually going to do what I suggest. And that makes me not want to be invested. And so I think catching us early, being proactive and being genuine with what are you seeing? What are you feeling about where we're headed, about the choices that we're, we're fixing to make and, and where they might take us. And, and then as, as much as possible, being proactive in, in what, what advice or what troubleshooting we might offer, not only relying on us after, after the problem already happens. Oh, well, Chelsea, thanks so much for joining us. Um, this episode is really great getting to know you, getting to hear your perspectives. I, I definitely learned some things. So hopefully the audience did as well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And where can can people find your writing, your art, whatever it is that you put out into the world? Yeah. So folks can find me on Twitter or Instagram at the handle C S E A underscore C underscore J or on my website, uh, which is Chelsea-Jackson.com. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. If you're interested in more information or talking to Mario, MJ, or myself, feel free to reach out to us through the links in the show notes or by emailing info at awarenesstoaction.com. All episode transcriptions and further information can be found at awarenesstoaction.com slash podcast.